A few years ago, I had the opportunity to be on a drift boat in the middle of one of my favorite rivers with one of my good friends fishing. And we saw as the morning progressed a storm building in the horizon. We must have just been on the edge of this storm because when it hit, it hit hard. And we are hopeful and, and really excited that maybe it wouldn't last long. The winds came, the rains came, and it didn't last very long, relatively speaking. And once that storm had passed and we had hunkered down in the boat and weathered it, once that storm had passed, something extraordinary occurred. For the next couple hours, the biggest fish in the river decided to go on a feeding frenzy. And I got to, along with my friend, cast out these little bitty dry flies to one enormous fish after another. And it was literally the most amazing couple hours of fishing I had ever experienced. And to this day, have never experienced anything like it. It was the best fishing day ever. Now the reason I tell you that story is because a couple weeks ago, Brett Levi gave this incredibly upbeat, uplifting, exciting, wonderful sermon on our best summer ever emphasis. You remember that? It was so good. It was so encouraging. It was so uplifting. Then the next week I came and gave a sermon about being in a dark storm cloud of life. It was like Brett was Tigger and I was Eeyore. And I just want you to know that even though we can find ourselves in a really difficult storm, that even in the most difficult storms, because of Jesus Christ, we can still have the best summer ever. Amen? And so I want to focus this morning on the best summer ever. And here's what I want to do. I want to provide, through God's Word, by way of a sermon, just a little gift to the fathers in the room today. <clears throat> in fact, I want to give a gift to all the, the men in the room today. And so we're going to open God's Word and we're going to work through some passages that I hope will serve as a gift to the dads in this room on Father's Day. Now, if you don't fall into the category of being a father or being a man, you, you might believe that this message is not intended for you. And I just want to encourage you uh, to listen carefully as I walk through something specifically for the men in the room. And listen for the principles in Scripture. They're incredibly encouraging. And I think you'll find great encouragement through them. Now this morning when I woke up, I had the privilege of seeing on my phone a text message from my oldest son, Weston. He's in Spain right now. In Spain, is he's serving with a missionary family over there for about seven weeks. Spain is seven hours ahead of us. So he sent me a text message seven hours earlier than I would have expected anything at all. And he says, I'm seven hours ahead celebrating you seven hours before you even know it's Father's Day. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. And he said he loved me. You know, the, 
those are the kind of text messages as a dad you want to get. You want to, you want to know that your kids think you are great. And when you're a dad, you want to be seen in the, in the eyes and the hearts of your children as a great dad. And I just want to encourage you men. If you want to be a great dad, the kind of dad God created you to be, you've you got to first be the kind of husband God created you to be. If you want to be the kind of husband God created you to be, you've got to be, first be the kind of man that God created you to be. I want to just list some names for you. Henry. Henry was my grandfather. Profound influence in my life. Lonnie, my dad. Then there was Daryl and Jimmy and Chuck and Victor and Barry and Tim and Danny and Jack and Lennon. I can just go through a list of men older than me who throughout my life have provided for me incredible encouragement to be the kind of man God created me to be. Older men who profoundly influenced me, modeling for me what it looks like to be a man who loves Christ. They modeled for me integrity, hard work, Sincerity, kindness, compassion, strength, humility, courage, godliness. I've all along my life, since surrendering to Jesus Christ, seen other men who walked with Christ in a way that helped me see who I wanted and needed to be. Years ago, our family decided to go skiing one winter. And we went with a couple other families. And we loaded up in our vehicles. And our family was in the season of life when the most appropriate vehicle for our family was a minivan. I am grateful to not be in the season that demands a minivan. Uh, however, when those seasons occur, minivans are a great way to roll. And we were in a minivan, and we loaded up the minivan with the people that we need to fit in our vehicle to head off to go skiing. And we were making the long drive uh, to the appropriate ski destination. And along the way, we were studying different routes we could take. And we were running a little bit behind schedule. You know, when I travel, I've got a schedule I want to get to from point A to point B. And I don't want to stop very much. But when you get a larger group of people, you stop more often than you want. And so getting to point B, your destination becomes even more concerning for you. So you begin to look for shortcuts. I began to look for shortcuts. Ask about different routes. Well, we found this road that looked like a shortcut. It's one of those roads on the map that are not not as bold and big as the other roads on the map. Well, I learned why that's the case. <laughs> we took that shortcut. By the time we got down that road a little ways, I began to realize there's a reason why this is not a primary road. It turned into a gravel road. It was dark by this time. And while we were on that road, a snowstorm came. Very low visibility. So obviously, we're driving down the road, we're going as slow as we can, the roads are getting slick, it's on gravel, there's a snowstorm coming with very little visibility, and this road is filled with hairpin curves, and there is no normal signage. 
middle of the night, pitch dark, low visibility because of a snowstorm, and no signs saying you have a hairpin curve ahead. And I'm not exaggerating. There is one curve that we took that I hit going a little bit fast, and we began to slide over the road towards the edge of the mountain. No guardrails, and my family is screaming, I'm screaming, we are terrified. Needless to say, that was not the right road. You know, the, the signs that are on roads like that are typically only signs that remind you what road you're on. They don't happen very often. But when you come up on that sign, it says road 254 or whatever. Well, every time I saw that sign, I saw this sign saying to me, wrong road. <laughs> That's it. If we'd have stayed on the right road, we'd have had a really good road. We'd have had a road that was filled with signs telling us when curves are coming. We'd have had a road that's filled with signs that say, hey, there's a rest stop here. There's shelter here. There's gas here. There's food here. Pull over. We'd have everything we needed to tell us what we needed to know as we walked, went along that road. Even on a sunny day when you're on the right road, there's great signage and they help you when you need, need help. But particularly when the weather is bad, you have the right signs along the way to help you get to where you're going. Men, until you get on the right road, the signs that you will see on the road you're on may be infrequent, but they will be signs that are telling you you're on the wrong road. But the moment you get on the right road, the road of your life will be filled with one sign after another, often in the form of other men who want to follow Christ. Reminding you, pointing out to you the way you should go, supplying for you the resources that you need and the directions to those resources. There will be one evidence, sign, man after another on your road telling you, stay on the path of following Jesus Christ. But you got to get on the right road. And the right road is following Jesus Christ. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. It's John chapter 14, verse 6 probably be very familiar to a lot of you in this room. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I mean, if you want to be the Father you were created to be, you need to be the husband you're created to be. If you want to be the husband you're created to be, you need to be the man you're created to be. And the only way to be the man you're created to be is to make the decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The best road that leads to being the right kind of man, the right kind of husband, the right kind of father is the road of following Jesus Christ. 
It's as simple as this. Getting on the right road and then paying attention to all the signs along the way that God will provide you to be the man you are created to be. Are you on the right road this morning? Have you made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? When you make that decision, then you are in a position where you can begin to focus on being the right kind of husband. I want you to flip over with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. It's one of the most profound, challenging and encouraging passages, verses in all of Scripture related to our calling as men who are also husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I want you to first notice the phrase, in the same way. If you go back to the end of chapter 2 in 1 Peter, you're going to read about Jesus Christ giving his life on the cross for our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And the picture of Jesus Christ is a picture of submitting his life to God the Father in laying down his life so that we might have life. That's the picture. Then chapter 3 verse 1 uses the same phrase in the same way when chapter 3 begins to address the wife and how she can live in righteousness because of Jesus Christ and his laying down his life for her. And so the woman, the wife, is told you need to live a certain way before your husband in the same way that you see Christ has laid down his life for you. So the concept of the wife submitting to her husband is a concept that is seasoned by the picture of Jesus Christ submitting his life to the Father, God the Father, and laying his life down so that that woman who is now a wife could be saved. Now notice in verse 7 you see the same phrase, in the same way. That points us right back to Jesus Christ again. And so the Lord is communicating here that in the same way, husband, that you see Jesus Christ lay down his life for you in the same way you are to live before your wife. So husbands, we are to live before our wives our wives, because we have seen the submission of Christ to the Father and therefore carry into our marriage a submission to Jesus Christ and a submission to our wife. This whole idea of a Christ-like heart, of laying down one's life, is what's to season every way we live before our wives. In the same way that we see Christ 
we are then to live this way with our wife. Do, do you hear how critical it is that you walk with Jesus Christ? How can you demonstrate the humility of Christ in the way you love your wife if you don't walk with Christ and experience the benefit of his humility before God the Father that took him to the cross? And we're told here in the same way we see Christ lay down his life, we are to lay down our lives for our wife in this way, to live with her in an understanding way and to honor her. Now I'm grateful that the scripture says that I am to live with Lindley in an understanding way as opposed to the scripture saying to me, I need to understand everything about Lindley. Right? It's, it's complicated to understand everything about your spouse for men and for women. It's complicated. But Christ doesn't ask me to understand everything about her. He asks me to live with her in an understanding way that reflects the heart of Christ. The scripture tells me that I'm to honor her. You know what honor means? It means I'm ascribing value to her. And the value I ascribe to her as her husband is a value that's rooted in Christ's love for her. So let's unpack this a little bit. I am to live with her in an understanding way. I am to honor her. And the scripture here, this passage gives us two reasons, men, why we are to live with our wives in an understanding way and to honor our wives in light of who Christ is and what he's done. Here are the two ways. Our wife is different than we are. And number two, she belongs to Jesus Christ. Now the first one is she's different. Now, here's how Peter illustrates the difference between a wife and a husband. He does it by saying that, generally speaking, men are more physically strong than women. And he's just using that to illustrate there is a pronounced difference between men and women, husband and wife. Now, I don't know what the differences are in your marriage between you and your wife, men, but I know for me, um, the book, Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti, describes how I feel about the differences in our marriage. So this book describes men like waffles. They process life as if they're in a box. Like waffles have boxes and have walls dividing each box. And sometimes men will process life as if they're in the box. And so that if a man is at work, He's in the work box. That's where he is. If a man is in the garage, working in the garage, he's in the garage box. That's where he is. If he's watching TV, he's in the TV box. That's where he is. If he's not thinking about anything, he's in the nothing box. <laughs> there is a nothing box for us guys. <clears throat> so Lindley sometimes will ask me, hey, what you thinking about? Nothing. And she'll look at me like, this, that's not possible. I was like, no, there, there's a nothing box in my life and I'm in it right now. Not playing, right? You guys have obviously experienced some of this. So the way the author describes women are women like a plate of spaghetti. A plate of spaghetti has a lot of noodles. You can see individual noodles, but those noodles are interlaced with other noodles, and every noodle is touching every other noodles. So here's the deal. 
women kind of process life in such a way that every issue and every thought is connected with every issue and every thought. So when you put a man who's like a waffle together with a woman who's like a plate of spaghetti and you try to communicate, it can become pretty interesting, right? We're different. This is what it feels like for me. I get in a conversation with Lindley, and I'm not exaggerating. She uses a lot of pronouns. And it is not infrequent that I have to stop in the middle of the conversation and say, I need a timeout right now because I don't know who he is or she is or they are or who them are. And if you just kind of help me know who she, he is and she is, I think I'll be able to pay attention a lot more. You ever been in that situation? So we're different. I don't know what the differences are like in your marriage, but I know I've got differences. Lindley's different than I am, right? So here's what I love about what God's Word does. God's Word tells me that I'm to live with her in an understanding way and honor her because she is different than me. You know what we do a lot of times, guys? Is when we experience and feel that our wives are different, instead of taking that as a gift and a trigger from the Lord Jesus Christ to live with her in an understanding way and honor her, we find ourselves getting frustrated that she's different. We get upset. You think about how many arguments that you guys have been engaged in. This is, this is me. How many arguments I've been engaged in with Lindley just because she's different than me. And how far I'm missing the boat in those moments. Because the differences are a gift that God is using to help me remember the greatest way to spend my life before my wife, to live with her in an understanding way and to honor her. She's different. But I should, instead of seeing differences, see uniqueness. It's a massive chasm between uniqueness and difference. Different is, you're not like me, and I'm not sure I like that. Uniqueness is, God made you just who I need you to be. You're one of a kind, special in every way, and deserving of honor and understanding. God made your wife unique to bless your life and your marriage. Behold her as unique and honor her as special it's a gift it's by design not only are you supposed to live with her in an understanding way because she's different not only are you supposed to honor her because she's different than you unique in all her ways but you're to honor her and live with her in an understanding way because she belongs to the Lord she is a gracious heir of the gift of God's grace You are never better than your wife. Men, you are not more spiritually um, in, in tune. You are not more capable. You are not uh, better. She is not inferior to you. Listen, guys, she is a recipient as a child of God of the same grace you have received that has given you the value that you live in. She is a child of God. 
She is not first your wife. She is first a child of God. And her status before God is to bring out in you honor for her. She belongs to the Lord. And because of whose she is, you should honor her. Love her. And serve her. You are to live in an understanding way and honor your wife because she is unique and because she belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will strive in Christ toward that end, it will not only be a great blessing in your marriage, it will be a profound impact in your spiritual life. Do you notice how this verse ends? Basically, this verse ends with the Lord telling us, if you do not strive to live with your wife in an understanding way and to honor her because she is unique and she belongs to Jesus Christ, your spiritual life will be hindered. That's what it says. Look back, look back at this passage. Just look at this one more time. Verse 7, chapter 3. You need to do this. Look at the end of the verse. So that your prayers will not be hindered. What is that telling you, men? God is graciously telling us men that if we do not strive to love the gift that God has put in our lives so that we can better follow Christ, if we do not strive to live with our wife in an understanding way and to honor her, that spiritually Christ will hinder our life in Him. Now, why would God do that? Do you know that in Ephesians, Chapter 5, we are told, men, that our love for our wife is to be a picture to the world of Christ's love for the church. You're meant to display the gospel. Well, God cares supremely for the gospel. And he will not allow us men to not strive to love our wives and at the same time flourish spiritually. It doesn't work that way. Some of you men come into this room and you think, I've been trying, I try to read my Bible, I try to pray, it's not working out, I find that I lose interest, I can't keep my focus, nothing's changing in my life, this whole spiritual thing is not working out like I wanted to, and you're frustrated with your spiritual life when all along God is graciously hindering your spiritual progress so that you would see the sign in your life saying you're not loving your wife. And maybe today is that day that you realize the answer to your spiritual struggle is really beginning to love your wife as God wants you to love her. You, you, you might actually believe this morning you're close to God, but I want to tell you, if you believe the scripture, if you're not striving to be close to your wife, you're not as close to God as you think you are. Men, the only way you're going to be the father that God wants you to be is if you're the husband God wants you to be. And the only way you're going to be the husband God wants you to be is if you're the man God wants you to be. And this passage about being a husband, God reminds you how critical it is for you to walk with Jesus Christ. Don't miss it.
you're striving to be the man that God created to be, and you're striving to be the husband God created to be, that is the place where you get to strive to be the dad you were created to be. You know, being a dad is so rewarding, but it's tough, isn't it? Several years ago, I read this little quote, and for me, it summarizes some of the challenges of being a dad. By the time a man begins to realize that his dad just might have been right, he usually has a son that thinks he's wrong. <laughs> Isn't that true? Being a dad is challenging. Being a dad can be full of some of the greatest rewards of life. You know, dads, you have the ability, God-given ability, to be a great blessing to your children. But when you're on the wrong road, you also have the great capacity to wound your children. You can either bless or you can wound. Ephesians chapter 6, I think, gives us great insight into the path towards blessing as opposed to creating a wound. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There was a study done by Christian, Christian Businessmen Committee, and the study demonstrated the powerful effect of when a mom and a dad are together in the home spiritually pursuing Jesus Christ. Not just saying they're Christians, but actually day in and day out striving to pursue Christ together. And the study discovered that if the mom and the dad are both spiritually engaged in following Christ together in the home, that there was about a 75% outcome of the children in the home following Christ. So their observations were you got a mom and dad both pursuing Christ. 75% of the time it looks like these kids are following Christ when they become adults. In the homes where the father did not pursue Christ on the same page as mom spiritually, they observed that 15% of kids when they reached adulthood followed Christ. Dad and mom together following Christ is the way to create blessing. Dad, if you are not on the same page as mom spiritually, you are creating the perfect scenario for wounds. And you have the opportunity to create some of the greatest blessings, some of the deepest wounds. So I want to encourage you with this passage for dads. Let me read it again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There's a tremendous amount of information that can be talked about in relation to that verse. But what I want to do is boil it down to some simple concepts this morning that you guys can walk away with. There is a ton here in terms of not provoking your children to anger, resentment, bitterness. That comes from the wound. Right? And then there's a ton here about, it's implied here about teaching your children the instruction of the Lord. We, we could talk for hours about these concepts, unpack myriads of things related to this in terms of application. One of the greatest passages in the Old Testament with the role in the family is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says you're supposed to train your kids. And the picture there is that you're supposed to use every available moment to saturate your kids with the truths of God's Word. And that you're to, at intentional moments, train them. At teachable moments along the way, instruct them. When they wake up in the morning, teach them to look at their day from God's perspective. When they go to bed at night, to reflect on their day and to see the handiwork of God. We are called men to lead the way in helping our kids find Christ. But let's just boil this down to a couple things here. Do not provoke your children to anger. Don't wound them. Instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Bless them. There are two Areas in your life that I believe create the greatest opportunity for either blessing or wounding. How can you best instruct a child to follow Christ? How can you most avoid provoking them to bitterness? Two things. First, in the area of integrity. Integrity. A lack of integrity in a father's life will most assuredly provide a great opportunity for a deep wound. Who you are behind closed doors in your home needs to match up as a follower of Christ with who you are outside the home. Do you know the two relationships in your life that are most visible to your children, which most clearly indicate for them whether or not you're a man of integrity? Relationship number one, your relationship with their mama. If your kiddos do not see you love their mama like Christ loves the church, in the home, day in and day out. They're not going to believe you're a man of integrity. Second relationship, your relationship with Jesus Christ. If your private worship in the home does not authenticate your public worship outside the home, they're not going to receive training and instruction from you for following Christ at all. Integrity. Number two, time. Time. What I've discovered is that a lot of my shortcomings and weaknesses as a dad 
had been kind of washed away just by spending time with my kids. Dad, you need to spend time with your kids. Intentional time for their sake. And to build into their lives a pattern over their lifetime of investing time. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm grown and have grown children now. But I'm never going to outgrow the need for time while my dad is still alive. Your kids need your time. They always have. They always will. It changes as they get older. But the investment of your time still means a great deal to them. It can be a blessing. Or it can be a wound. One of the things that helped me think about this is if what, if, what if on the day that, that my kids were born and I held them for the first time in that hospital room, what if in that moment, on that day, holding them, some stranger comes up to me and says, hey, I'd love to give you a million dollars today if for the next 18 years of your life you don't spend any time with that kid. And you allow me and those I recruit to help your kid pursue every kind of sin and brokenness they can pursue. Would you like to make that deal today? Absolutely not. You know, the average earning capacity of a man over the 18 years of life after he has his first kid is probably in the neighborhood of a million dollars. I just want to encourage us men that it won't take that deal slowly over the course of our life by allowing the opportunities in front of us to distract us from the time that our children need from us. Time. You don't live with integrity. You don't give them time. It's likely you've wounded them. But if you live with integrity and you give them time, it's likely that even in the moments where you may not be perfect, you'll experience having given them a great blessing. The only way you can be the father you're called to be, be the husband you're created to be. The only way you'll be the husband you're created to be is if you are the man you were created to be. So I want to give you two simple steps this morning that I want every man in this place to consider taking. Step number one. Here it is, step number one. Forgive your own dad. Every man in this place was wounded by their dad to some degree or another. Many of you in this room, the wounds were pretty insignificant. The blessings were really great and you're grateful for your dad. But some of you in this room, the wounds were very significant. The blessings were very minor and you still bear that wound and you have not to this day forgiven your father. And I just want to tell you, if you want to be the man God's created to be, you need to forgive your dad because Jesus Christ has forgiven you and he is ready to take you down the road of life with every sign you need to follow him. But you've got to forgive. And if you've been holding on to that, some of you maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you, it's, it's time. This is the Father's Day that needs to be marked by you deciding, I've forgiven my dad and I'm trusting my heavenly Father. Step one, forgive your father. Step two, surrender 
to Jesus Christ. If you've never done it, can't be a better way to be a father today than to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you have done it, I want to encourage you to renew your surrender. Just surrender afresh. Begin to order your life by God's word. Begin to spend time in prayer. If you want a place to start in God's word, start reading 1 John. And just read 1 John every week until the middle of August. Because in the middle of August, I'm going to start preaching through 1 John. And you just ask the Lord to speak to you and to teach you, instruct you. Write down some things about you see about God and ways you want to follow Him. And you'll be ready for us to jump into that series. And God will have worked in your life. You can share about that with your wife. You can share about that with your kids. And you can invite them into the journey you're now on. The road of surrender to Jesus Christ. Surrender to Christ. A number of years ago, our family decided to go to Walt Disney. Have you ever done that? When, when, you, when you decide you're going to go on a vacation to Walt Disney, you pretty much are ignorant of everything that really means. And it is an ordeal. I mean, planning that thing, I felt like I was in the dark. It was a massive undertaking. It was an unbelievable experience. I, I don't know how many times I called Disney asking for help to try to figure things out. Now, the wonderful thing is they are very, very helpful. They're wonderful on customer service. You need help, you call them, they're going to help you. They do everything they can to make this the vacation of the lifetime. Well, we went through all the months of planning, all the months of preparation. We went and had literally the best vacation ever. It was incredible. I didn't know a thing when I started. But if you're planning to go to Disney, I can tell you how to get there. I know a lot more today than the day I started. And it was the best vacation ever. You know, you can boil down that experience to one simple thing. Here it is. There was a day that I decided we were going to Disney. It boiled down to a point of decision. Every step always begins with a decision. Men, today is a day of decision. Get on the right road. Become who God created you to be. Your best summer ever and your family awaits you.